0: You good to be seated, and uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 24. Is our text for this morning. As I think of Easter weekend, I think of uh, a classic sermon that I heard about 30, 35 years ago. It was preached by a pastor out in San Diego. His name is S.M. Lockridge, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. And here was the title of the sermon. You kind of get the flow of this. Some of you might have heard this. It's called, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I think most of us can relate to the title of that sermon because it seems to, in an interesting way, present a foil for our own lives. As you study through the Easter account, you find that there is a day of pain and confusion, the day of... Uh, the day of the crucifixion of Christ, the day of confusion, the day that follows that on Saturday as the followers of Jesus begin to try to grasp what it all means. And that is followed by the day that we celebrate today, Resurrection Day, the day of hope. You and I all have our Fridays along the way in life. Uh, we often deal with the confusion that ensues on Saturday and we long for Sundays, days of hope. I want you to look with me at this text this morning, Luke 24, and I am going to read verses 1 through 12. It says, on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember what he told you. While he was with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This morning I want us to look through this uh, portion of Scripture. Scripture. I want us to follow the steps of Christ. So we see Luke 22 to 23 gives us the the narrative about the crucifixion. Chapter 24 gives us the narrative about the resurrection of Christ. So all of this starts with the day of pain. Uh, The day that the followers of Jesus saw him mocked, humiliated, and flogged, that is to be beaten with the cat of nine tails 39 times, pulling and tearing at his flesh. His beard is pulled out. He is crucified. He is confirmed dead. And the end of chapter 23 tells us that the women saw that his body was taken down and where it was buried and that he was certainly uh, dead. I want you to focus not as much on the details in this text on the death of Christ, as much as I would like you to follow on the the impact that it had on his followers, because certainly that is where we stand today. We're people impacted in our daily life by the circumstances of a troubled world. On this day, their hopes and dreams were shattered, along with their personal lives, which were devoted entirely to his cause. You see, in the ancient world, in which there were many would-be messiahs, A humiliated and crucified Messiah would mean the end of a movement. It would be curtains. Acts chapter 5 makes this very clear. Everyone knows, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And when Christ dies, the lives of his followers feel ruined. That is the experience that they have. Their hopes have been dashed. And they huddle in a room, driven by fear of the Jews, ashamed of their scattering, ashamed of their denial of Christ, seeking protection, protecting their lives. And here's the... Simple truth that I think all of us have to reckon with, and I think all of us on our clear days can be honest about this. We all face Fridays, they come for all of us. We all face days when there is pain that is so deep that it is very difficult to grasp and understand. And that pain in this text is clearly laid out for all of us to see and hopefully to come to appreciate because of what it means for each one of us. Christ suffered brutally on Friday to accomplish something glorious for us we'll return to that at the end of our discussion. The question I want you to think about this morning is what personal struggle, what day of pain are you wrestling with at this time? What is grabbing your attention? What's filling up the screen of your life so that you can barely function? Now, here's what happens for all of us. I think we enter into circumstances that we don't have a good explanation for. We ask the question why. The result of that is that we begin to wallow in the mire of confusion. And so the day that Christ is crucified, that's the day of pain for the disciples, a deep day of brokenness. But that day of pain leads into a day, a day and a half of what we would call a season of confusion. I want us to just look through this text and identify through the eyes of three people the confusion that they're facing. First of all, verses 1 and 2, the women. Uh, In every one of the Gospels, the women are the first ones that come to the tomb. And what are they seeking on this day? Well, the text gives you an indication of what they're seeking. They come with spices, that is the ointments and oils and spices that would be used to prepare a body properly for permanent burial. What's driving these women? Well, you're going to find that there's at least five of them, and I believe what's driving them is deep love for Christ. They're in a season of mourning. They're in a season of unimaginable pain that's leading to deep confusion. But out of love, they're driven to do the right thing for this glorious Savior that they loved and followed. They came expecting to find a body to prepare a corpse for burial because tombs are for dead people. And all their hopes are destroyed. Verses 3 and 4, and then 4 through 8, you find that as they go into, come to the tomb, they find that the stone's been rolled away. And their initial response, you would hope would be, he's risen, just like he said. But the truth is, that's not the response of these women. It's not the response of the early disciples. Their first response is, somebody took the body. That's the sense of confusion that we often have. We know the clear promises of God. But when we're faced with the daily circumstances of life, we tend to cry out a cry of confusion. And so their response to the empty grave is not, hallelujah, the lamb is overcome. Their cry is like mine. (laughs) Where's the body? Because the confusion in life sometimes can be so overwhelming. And for them, that is the case here. Second group of people that we look at in this text in verses 9 and following is the disciples of Jesus. The ladies come back from the grave, and they begin to recount for the disciples the fact that the body's not there. And on top of that, inside the grave, they encountered these these angelic beings, these messengers from God, declaring a message of hope. He's not here. Why are you seeking the living in a place where dead people go? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Now, you would expect that these loyal followers of Christ would respond out of their pain with words of great hope and joy but they're perplexed by it they're they're put off by it they don't have a category for power that raises people victoriously from the grave and so as they hear there's there the statements of the ladies here here's what they say look in verse look in verse uh let's see verse 11 it says but they the apostles did not believe the women and there are various explanations for that historically as to why the witness of women to such an event would not be trusted. Uh, there was an unfortunate uh, disregard for women in that day. I think it's fascinating that at every resurrection account, the first ones to hear and testify to the resurrection are women. Sweet. Amen. Okay. So you, you, you have this, this picture. So they come and they're, they're ecstatic they're beginning to sense hope in the midst of their confusion and they come and they they kind of pour it out on the disciples and here's the response of the disciples you just men this is this is condemning they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense they heard the truth that Jesus had promised and they discarded it folks here's how you can stay in days of confusion doubt the promises of god hold them suspect be suspicious Of what God has promised to do. And you will never escape the season of confusion. See, I think this is the honest truth. What what drives our sense of confusion, our sense of despair after days of pain, is our failure to lay hold of the promises of God. We are so quick to doubt the clear and exceedingly beautiful promises of God. And that is the response of the disciples. I hope you don't look at them and say, you know what? If I was there and those women came back and said the grave's empty, I would have said hallelujah. Okay? It, 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 that's not the reality of our lives. We walk into pain. It leads to confusion. And when we hear the promises of God, we're kind of like, "It doesn't make sense. It's not what I expected. It's not how I thought my life would work out, how my marriage would work out, how my business would work out. We wrestle in the day of pain, with deep and overwhelming confusion. Doubt, however, of the promises of God is an invitation to worry, a uh, companion that I think many of us travel the road of life with. Uh, Worry is unproductive, and worry is unhelpful. In this case, the disciples are blinded by the facts. You understand what I'm saying? The fact is that Jesus died... And was buried. And that was verified. That's the facts. And what the disciples on this day are doing. Is what you and I do. We're blinded by the facts. Therefore we don't obtain the blessing. Of the promises of God. That require the miraculous. Isn't that true? We know the promise of God. It is unbelievable. Sometimes we we struggle with, with getting it. With understanding it. And that allows our seasons of pain to prolong. Rick Warren made this observation. He said, don't doubt in the dark the things that God has revealed in the light. You know, when you come to Christ, you come into the light. You come to know the one who himself is the light of the world. And in that context, you begin to hear great and glorious promises that encourage and thrill your heart. And then the day of pain comes and then the day of confusion ensues. And in that context... I would argue that we tend to doubt the promises of God because in the dark we just can't see. And we have to say to God, God, help me to see your promises in the season of pain and confusion that I find myself immersed in. Can I share with you a couple of promises? If you find yourself today in a place where you're just, God, it's it's just not working out. The marriage thing, the job thing, the finance thing, the school thing, the career thing, I, I just... I'm struggling to see it clear. You can relate to how the disciples and 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 the and the women felt this day. And the two on the road to Emmaus as well. As they're walking on the road to Emmaus, here's what you find: Jesus comes alongside them. Uh, they're, they're walking as would be the normal means of transportation in the, in the ancient world. They're on a seven mile journey, so they got some time. If it takes 20 minutes to walk a mile, they've got, you know, 140 minutes. Or no, seven times forty is what? 280 minutes to share with Jesus, right? And so they've got, they've got a few hours and as they're walking and, and there's this sense of being downcast and troubled and they're, 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 they're talking through what the resurrection claim means and what the death of Christ means to their future plans and they're deeply disturbed and struggling. And we find in verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 17, Jesus says to them, What are you discussing as you walk along the road? Now, the text tells us that the disciples are unable to recognize Christ in this context. He has miraculously veiled his presence so that he can interrogate them and bring them to hope through truth. Because that's the way it's going to need to be for them. The resurrected Savior will not be walking with them on the road of life. So he comes near and opens their eyes by truth. He rehearses promises. And this text, I think, is uh, incredibly substantial. Uh, for our understanding, and I think it is central to the text that is before us. Jesus said, what are you discussing as you walk together? Verse 17, they stood still with faces downcast. They, as he asked the question, they're like, oh. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? The day of pain. And the incredible disappointment that we as followers are facing. And Jesus says to them, what things he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed. He spoke great truth. And he did great and amazing things. It was before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And crucified him. But we had hoped... That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We hoped that he would deliver us from our pain, but now he's dead and that pain of death has led to this deep confusion. Now, I want to focus your attention on the promise that Jesus brings to the disciples. Look down in verse 25. It says, he said to them, how foolish and slow of heart, how quick to doubt all that the prophets had spoken. And then he asked this question to interrogate them with truth so that they could come to know it. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? Didn't he talk about his death, burial, and resurrection? If you flip back in your Bible, quickly to Luke 9 and verse 22, you will find these exact words. Didn't he have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. They approach the village. Jesus is about to depart. They beg him to stay for dinner. He stays for dinner. And as bread is broken at the dinner table, the hands of Christ break the bread. And we don't know exactly what's going on, but it seems to be that in the breaking of the bread, the light goes on. The penny drops. The aha moment comes for the disciples, and they realize it's him, and he's he's taken out of their sight. Why? Jesus wants them to run to Jerusalem. And to tell the other disciples the glorious truth that the word of God and the promises of God have been fulfilled and they are the answer to the confusion that the followers of Jesus Christ are experiencing following the pain of his death. We forget the promises of God and we wallow in confusion and pain. Can I share with you a couple promises to remind you of how good God is? These are the truths that you and I need to lay hold of when we are in a season of struggle, when we are in a season of pain, confusion, disappointment, the things that come along the way. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In this season of pain and confusion, I'm there, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you, and when you walk through the fire, they will not set you ablaze. I jump into the New Testament to claim another promise, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. It says, no temptation has come upon you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He is reliable. He will not allow you to face something that is stronger than you can bear. But in the season of trial, he'll make a way through it, a way out, so that you can stand up under it. Folks, when you struggle in the day of confusion that follows the ensuing day of pain, you need to cling to the promises of God. Who says that I will walk with you in the valleys of the shadow of death so that you don't have to fear evil? You know how much like us these disciples are. Now, I want you to just quick look at the transitional part of this text. After Jesus is taken from them, verse 32 tells us what happens, or 31. It says, Their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared out of their sight. You'd be like, who would have thought? And the next verse says this. And this is what, what is Jesus doing? He's giving them assurance of his faithfulness and his power over all the pain and confusion of their lives. Particularly in this pregnant moment of pain and confusion. Having to do with the crucifixion and the hope for resurrection. He attracts their attention to scripture. Because that is the anchor that will stabilize them. The promises there will stabilize them in all of their pain. They ask each other. Listen to this. And, and you don't, who's speaking? Are they both like looking at each other? And here's what they say. Were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road, as we were downcast and burdened with confusion, didn't something begin to burn inside of our hearts? When we began to complicate that he must suffer And be handed into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified for our sin. And on the third day be raised again. Wasn't there something in us that said amen to that? As we heard that truth. Something that encouraged our hearts. Here's the way I put this in my notes. The words of Jesus blew oxygen over the fading embers of doubting hearts. And they were set ablaze. Folks. In your season of pain, get before God and get with his word and let the spirit of God blow oxygen over the dim embers of your heart and let him, by his truth that he overcame, set your heart ablaze. You know what the world needs to see? They need to see people who were so deeply committed to the promises of God that in their days of pain and confusion, they lived differently. Because they have a hope that cannot be snuffed out. Here's what I find to be glorious. To these doubting disciples, to these women who are just wrestling to grasp, and to these two on the road to Emmaus who are saying, wasn't there something that happened? As he revealed that truth for us, beginning with Moses, through the Old Testament, everything pointing to him, didn't something come alive? The question is, what is it that was coming alive? It was the burning hope that sets a heart ablaze blaze of doubting people and makes them world changers. The last thought I want to deal with is, so we have the day of pain, we have the day of confusion, but now the day of hope. In Luke 24, 1, we know that women come to the grave. Here's the other thing we know. They did not come to validate the promises of God. They did not come that day to find fulfilled this incredible promise. They came with spices to prepare his body for permanent burial. That's why they came. They did not come expecting hope. But the Lord Jesus is gracious in his response, isn't he? You know, Isaiah says that a... Isaiah 42, I believe this is. Isaiah 42, 3 says, he will not crush the weakest reed. He will not snuff out a flickering candle. Folks, do you realize that that text is quoted about Jesus in the Gospel of John? Because here's what happens. We feel that our confusion and our doubt and our instability and our struggle in life that feels so persistent is inappropriate for a child of God. And we think that he probably doesn't want to hear. Here's what I want to say to you. What he wants you to do is speak to your doubt with the words of faith. He wants you to lay hold of his promises so that the work of the Spirit of God can blow oxygen on the Fading embers of your heart so that you can be set ablaze with a hope that will change your life. How do I know that he wants to do that? Because when I read the account of the women to come to the grave, he sends angelic messengers to meet them outside of the empty tomb. To say, or I'm sorry, in the, in the empty tomb. They're there to say what? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a living man in a grave? Here's the truth. Jesus had converted the grave into a bedroom. And one day he will say to all of his children, it's time to get up. That hope of Christ's resurrection changed and converted the hearts of these people and allowed them to see clearly that all of those promises were pointing to Christ. And hope begins to arise. I, when I think about the angels coming to the women in the grave, I, here's, here's what I think. I think the angels are kind of saying... Uh, your efforts to prepare Christ's body for burial are appreciated and unnecessary because he is risen. It's it's not that, that it's cast aside. It's not mocked. It's appreciated by God because it's driven by love of Christ for them. But even people that love God can go through seasons of confusion that is painful. And the gospel and the resurrection aims to Fan that ember into flame to bring back the light of life and the glory of Christ to the fearful disciples. And I, I love this. Jesus is more direct. In, uh, in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 36 to 32, it says, while the two were speaking about what they'd experienced onto the road to Emmaus, they leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they have become witnesses of the resurrected Christ. And what they think is that witness to the resurrection of Christ should be shared with their hurting brothers so that their hearts can be lit ablaze as well so that they can be world changers. Folks, here's what happens. When people encounter by faith the risen Christ who is a grave breaker, they begin to understand that he is also in their lives a change maker. He comes to alter your life, the perplexity of it and the complexity of it. He he comes to aim it and direct it for his glory. That's what he's aiming to do. And so he comes to these faltering disciples, the two are there, they begin to explain what happens and Jesus appears in their midst. And I love this text because there's, there's part of you that, that thinks, what, is, what do you say if you're Jesus? What do you say to the disciples who denied and betrayed and scattered and fled and are now hiding, holed up in an upper room after having lived with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, having seen everything that they saw? What? What destroyed their hope? What, to, what led them to doubt and confusion? The crucifixion. Without an expectation and appreciation for the resurrection. He appeared in them and he said, peace be with you. Verse 37 says they were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your mind? The, it, it's an ironic question. Jesus knows why they're doubting. He knows why they're struggling. It's why he repeatedly promised and reaffirmed for them the truth of his resurrection. It's why when you get to 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection truth is hard to get. And the reason Jesus comes on repeated occasions to affirm this truth is because it's not truth that sinks in simply and easily. And so he comes and he provokes their thinking from the Old Testament scriptures. In Luke 24, folks, listen, three times... This kind of exact theme is presented in Luke 24 because it is the gospel that changes our hearts. It's the gospel that inspires hope and trust in a risen king and savior. We understand their skepticism. Uh, I tend to be a pretty skeptical person. I I have a number of people that I tend to trust a lot, and then I also know what it is to wrestle with skepticism. Uh, About a year ago, my wife and I received a letter from... Uh, Janice Henderson. It's a mutual fund company, okay? Now, my wife and I, in the past, had had dealings with this company. We had put an IRA account there. I think our deposit was about $2,500, okay, back in the early 90s when that's all you could put in. Um, We got a letter saying that you, you have unclaimed assets. Now, because I'm a skeptic, what do I think? It's a sham. I've been ripped off before, so I threw the letter away. Two weeks later, we get another letter. Now, my wife is wiser than me. Don't you think you ought to pay attention to that? She's like, she knows I have a hard time paying attention to anything. (laughs) Okay. So I said, all right, I'll open it. I opened it. And again, it said, you know, you you have 30 days to claim uh, this uh, sum of money. It didn't disclose what it was, which is what made me suspicious. If there's money there for me. Tell me if it's worthwhile. Here's what I'm thinking. It's an account that we had transferred in the past. There's probably a couple of dollars left, capital gains or something like that. It. It's not even worth the effort. And it protects me from getting used by a system that's dishonest. And my wife provoked me and encouraged me and said, why don't you just call? So I did. I called and they started to tell me information about myself that They would only know if I had had an account there or something. As I began to, what's your old phone number? Did you ever live at X? I'm like, yes. Now, if they started to ask for social security numbers, I was hanging up. Okay? But as they kind of walked through this process, I I became assured, and I was like, maybe there is something there. Okay? We had no idea what it would be. But it was $2,500 that we had put there 25 to 30 years ago, and it has done really well. So... When I got the letter, I doubted I didn't want to take that word. I doubted it. But when I acted on it and responded to it, I found that there was a actually substantial blessing. Here's what I learned through that experience. Doubt can be costly. It's understood, right? We all understand why I would be skeptical about that letter. But that doubt sometimes needed to be walked through the the venue of truth to, to vet it and to find out if it is actually true. And if it is, act on it. God has given us substantial promises in the vault of grace and he wants us to lay hold of those promises in the seasons of confusion so that we can become gloriously people of hope. This morning I ask you this question in conclusion. What Friday are you facing that is causing pain and doubt and confusion? Today you need to take it to God. What what disappointment in your career, what struggle in your marriage, what financial reversal is eating your joy, what personal or moral failure is imprisoning you in a prison of guilt and fear and doubt that God can't forgive? What diagnosis is stretching your faith? What deep personal loss that all of us face in a broken world is tearing at your dreams? What persistent struggle and temptation are you facing that the resurrection power of God cannot overcome? I ask you that question this morning. Because when I'm overcome, I stay in the prison of confusion. God wants me to move to the day of hope. You know, you're not here by mistake today. As you face problems of pain that leads to confusion, I want you to remember and claim this promise. It might be Friday. And it might be Saturday in my life. But the resurrection of Jesus says, Sunday's coming. And I don't care where you're coming from this morning. I don't care how dark and deep you feel that your sin is. I want you to know that this text contains the story of a glorious, risen, powerful Savior who can save from all pain and all confusion and all of your sin that drives much of it. I think of this verse, the last verses of the text. It says, He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Okay? This is truth. This is divine revelation. The Messiah must suffer and must rise from the dead on the third day. And then, after that glorious gospel work comes through the passion of Christ, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are witnesses to these things. Folks, here's what the resurrection does. It takes broken people, confused people, and it sets them ablaze. And it sends them out like Jesus sent the apostles to be witnesses of these things. Folks, if you have experienced the transforming power of God's grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, through which he took the consequences of your sin and struggled and was vindicated on the third day by his resurrection, if you... If you know that, you need to take that to the world around you. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, is there hope for someone like me? And here's the truth. Each of us knows ourselves better than anyone else knows us. And God knows us a little better. Sometimes what we know about ourselves drives pain and confusion. This text addresses that issue. with the glorious truth of a perfect Savior who lived a life we could never live and a sacrificial savior who died the death we could never that we should die and who is a victorious savior because on the 3rd day he rose again victoriously and his aim is to fill our hearts with glorious hope this morning perhaps God is opening your eyes and if he is here's a promise i want to encourage you to claim romans 10:13 paul under the inspiration of the spirit of god says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So I don't care what your history is. You don't have to give me the detailed explanation of your sin. Here's what I know. For every sinner, there is a glorious Savior. And here's what he does. He, In this text, it says Jesus began to open their eyes to understand the things that were written in Scripture. This morning, you may be sitting here having heard the gospel and Jesus may be peeling back the scales off your eyes so that you can see the truth of the power of his forgiveness, letting you see the depth of your sinfulness so that you can, in the midst of your confusion and pain, find that there is glorious hope through a resurrected and glorious Savior who aims to change your life. A cry to Jesus for rescue from a repentant heart results in salvation. That is the promise of God, and that is why we will sing what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus. Perhaps your day of pain relates to guilt and your need for forgiveness resulting in confusion about whether you can experience God's grace and salvation. I have good news for you. On the cross, the Lamb of God defeated your sin and its consequence. Your greatest enemy, sin and death, was stripped of its power. And God's desire is that you would come to know him today. And if you're a child of God's, here's what I think God wants you to know. That in the midst of your pain and confusion, he comes to you. He seeks you. He seeks you graciously, sometimes directly, sometimes abruptly. He'll confront you. What's his aim? His aim is to change your heart. His aim is to bring you out of that season of confusion and brokenness and doubt and fear that you've been in perhaps for years. By the resurrection power of Christ, he wants to change your fortunes. He wants to change your future. And in Jesus Christ, he sent you a letter. He sent you a letter called the Word of God that exposes you to your sin, exposes you to His grace, exposes you to the hope that comes to the saving work of Christ on Calvary's cross. And this morning I beg of you, come to know Him and trust Him and believe Her. never doubt His promises. The resurrection, one writer said, is God's amen to the cross work of Christ. He saves, He delivers, He frees. This morning, Lord... As we close, we thank you for the work of your word in our hearts that ministers to us in seasons of pain and ensuing confusion, but brings us to a day of hope. Lord, this morning as we go through this beautiful day, let it not be for us a sentimental holiday that makes us feel good. Let it be truth that changes us, that moves us from being weak to being powerful in the name of Christ. Thank you that you, Lord, have given for us a beautiful Savior, and his name is Jesus. As we conclude our service, Father, I pray that if there was someone here who has never trusted Christ, who has never come to know the beautiful name of Jesus as Savior, I pray God today that as we sing our closing song, they may come forward and say, "Uh, Pastor, today I want to trust Christ, I want to know Christ, I want to claim his promises, I want to be delivered from my day of pain and confusion by the glorious power of Christ. God, today, save, we pray. To the one who died, was buried, and rose again victoriously. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.